0: Hello and welcome to the filmpulse.net podcast. This is episode number 109. My name is Adam. With me today, we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. It's been a while. It's been been a long time. Two weeks since we talked. I have, I.
1: fun fact, I've had a nosebleed for a week. (laughs) That sounds sounds dangerous. (laughs) My nose has been bleeding for a
0: solid week. Why?
1: I don't know. It does seem wrong, doesn't it?
0: yeah that's probably not right sometimes in the winter i'll get nosebleeds because it's the the air gets so dry yeah i think that's what it was Hmm. you might want to get that checked out if it continues (laughs) maybe i feel like i'm past the point now (laughs) you're just gonna roll with it (laughs) you're just just accepting the fact that your nose will be perpetually bleeding
1: yeah i just figure that's like a part of me now
0: Uh, well, this week we'll be talking about some of what we we'll have been watching before getting into two feature reviews. Uh, first, we'll be talking about Rhymes for Young Ghouls, and then we'll be getting into a review of Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blur releases. Uh, first up, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I'm still playing catch-up on South by Southwest, so I didn't watch a whole lot of stuff this week. I've been I've been banging out a lot of screeners. So I guess one that I'll mention that I didn't mention in uh last week's South by Southwest episode which you should definitely check out if you haven't listened to it is uh one called 13 Sins which is a it's a remake of the I don't know if you've ever heard of it uh, it's called 13 Game of Death or 13 Zimedi it's a, oh, okay, it's a yeah. I've heard of that. I've it's a Thai that. film came out in 2006. Uh, well they remade it and it's, it's directed by Daniel Stamm, the guy who did Last Exorcism, which I was a big fan of. And this one, uh, Mark Weber is the main guy. Basically, it's about this kind of down-on-his-luck guy who gets a, a mysterious phone call saying that he's been entered in, into a contest. And all he has to do is 13 different challenges. And if each one that he completes he gets a specific amount of money all the way up until like several million dollars. And it starts off really easy. Like he has to kill a fly that's in his car. And then for the second challenge, he has to eat that fly. And then they just kind of escalate from there. And it's, it's different enough from the original one that it, it didn't bother me that it was a remake. You know, usually we get all offended anytime there's a, there's a re an English remake of a foreign film yeah, you know. but in this case it's been so long since i've seen the original I, I remember very little about it i remember some of the stuff was the same like the fly eating and cer certain other challenges were the same but you know i thought it was okay it's kind of It's kind of bad that it came out now because I feel like that there's more movies like this out now.
1: I was going to say, it sounds a lot like cheap thrills. Yeah,
0: it's, it's very much like cheap thrills. And I mentioned cheap thrills in my review. So it is kind of unfortunate that it came, that it took him this long to put it out. I think it would have been more successful if it did come out like maybe a year after the original, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of fun to see what they're going to make him do next because they make him do like really weird stuff. Like he has to like for one challenge, he has to switch clothes with a homeless man. And then he has to go into, he has to take a guy out for coffee. But as it turns out, the guy's dead. Like the guy killed himself. Okay. So he has to pull a weekend at Bernie's and, (laughs) and take a corpse out for coffee. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yes. Sign so, me up for that. There, there is some kind of interesting aspects to it. And there's a lot of humor put in there as well. So it's, it's a fun watch, but just don't expect anything fantastic. There's still a lot of flaws with just the logic and how these kind of overseers these puppet masters can somehow see everything he's doing at all times mm-hmm.
1: like, yeah. yeah like they have surveillance yeah the like they're using,
0: they're using like satellites to to just watch <laughs> him all the time even though there's like some scenes he'll be like on a road that's like in the middle of nowhere and it's like okay what do they, they have just cameras everywhere <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous, and like at one point he loses the cell phone that they were calling him on, and he gets another phone, and like they call him on that, and it's just there's a lot of things that you have to kind of give the benefit of the doubt to.
1: You just gotta roll with it,
0: but it's it's still pretty fun, and there's there's some pretty cool twists at the end that I actually didn't see coming, so it's uh, I don't know, light recommend. I think that that comes out relatively soon i'm sure that it's going to get an on-demand release yeah i think it's like mid april it looks like but that that screened itself by
1: uh i watched this is a movie that i wanted to see a long time it's called l i don't know if you remember this the greek movie
0: uh yeah i remember
1: (laughs) extremely absurd yeah very surreal uh written by the same guy that wrote dog tooth Mm -hmm. pretty much all the other greek absurd films that come out in the last couple years. years. Um, this one is just extremely bizarre. There's really no logic to it at all. Right from the outset, it starts off with a guy with a head wound singing a song about becoming a bear mm. and getting vengeance on the hunter that mistook him for a bear and shot him. And it seems pretty odd. But then you realize, you know, you're introduced to him later and he acts like a bear. So... In the hunter's defense, it's understandable because he walks on all fours and he he eats and acts like a bear. It's very bizarre. And the main character lives in his car and like, never leaves his car ever. It's a Volvo and he has one job. And that is picking up the finest honey that he can find and delivering it to a narcoleptic man. Mm. So that's his job. And he's currently separated from his wife, who also lives in a car. And they'll meet up in the parking lot and talk to each other. And their kids, you know, they share custody. So the kids are in the back seat. They get the switch off every now and then. And he takes them for drives, which is mostly just in a a roundabout. He just drives around in a circle. And he'll let the one kid drive occasionally. And it's all presented in this very bizarre... Like deadpan nonchalance, taking itself completely serious. <laughs> it's it's so, and the way that it is presented makes it very very intriguing. Like I was completely gripped the entire time because they don't they don't explain anything. They just throw you in. Guy lives in his car. This is his job. He lives in a parking lot. And when he goes to sleep, you know, he'll take his shoes off, open his car door, sit him outside, and he'll go to sleep. He celebrates his birthday in his car. He's just always in his car. You never see him outside of the car. But then he ends up losing his job. So he joins a motorbike gang. And now he's all about motorbikes. And it just keeps going from there. It is so unbelievably bizarre. But at the same time, if you sort of take out all of... The oddness, you know, living in the car, being in the motorbike gang, delivering honey to a narco man. <laughs> Your predecessor is a guy that acts like a bear. <laughs> it's real. I mean, in all honesty, it's just, it's like real life. It's just, a, it's really just a simple story of a man losing his job and he's trying to figure out what to do from there. You know, he already lost his wife and his home life, and now he lost his job, and now he's just trying to, like, essentially maybe find himself, or maybe find a place in society for himself. And it's just, they take that simple story and just put it in, like, the most bizarre framing technique <laughs> that you can use. And there is, at one point, the, 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 the guy that, uh, he's a bear, he wants to be a bear, and so his friend asks him if he's eaten a person yet, and he says no, but I'd like to.
0: Mm-mm.
1: And then later he does eat a person. So
0: I think I just saw that in the trailer.
1: <laughs> yeah, he just he eats a person. He's this he, this, he makes, he's, he's you sold very, me. Yeah. Sold he, me on this. He's a very compelling bear, I have to say.
0: Yeah, he definitely sold me on this.
1: <laughs> it's just it's so it's so unbelievable. Is this available on Netflix? No, this is the only way you can you can only import this, unfortunately. Okay, cool. L, check it out. Greece, I love it, <laughs> loving what they're doing. I know. I don't know what the hell's going on in Greece, but it's making for some great films.
0: I wanted to talk about because what we offer on on our site is the ability to, for young filmmakers, budding filmmakers, to submit their films to us to get reviewed. So we get a fair amount of uh, screeners in that are movies that maybe haven't gotten any exposure yet or uh, are just looking for some feedback or sometimes they're looking for different uh, pull quotes from us to put on like festival packages and stuff like that. So we got a bunch of stuff in and I rarely talk about it on the show, but I figured I'd, I'd mention some because since I haven't watched any kind of like regular stuff this week, um, I figured I'd, I'd mention some. One of them that I saw was an indie, uh, a short film called Indie and you won't find a review for this on our site because uh, the filmmakers asked us to take it down because I I didn't give it a very favorable review. And rather than talking about the movie, I just wanted to mention um, I wanted to kind of throw throw this as like a general question out there to any other film journalists that are that are listening film critics to see if this has ever happened to them and if so have they, Remove their reviews because I took I did take the review down because the guy asked really nicely and he was upset that I criticized the the look of the film. And well, I now said,
1: when you, when you say look what
0: okay so what do
1: you, what do you mean exactly like more specifically the quality or yeah like the quality. Yeah. Yeah.
0: More specifically, I <laughs> criticized the equipment that they used. Uh, it looked like they used some very, like, low-end digital cameras. And I said in the review, I can't help but wonder what this would have looked like if they had used some better equipment. And, you know, I thought that that was a relatively kind of benign uh, comment to say. But when, when they emailed me back, they were like, look, we made this movie for 50 pounds. It was a UK film. And we didn't have any budget at all we 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 think it looks great and we stand by it and blah 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 but it's like if you only have 50 pounds to get to make your movie maybe you shouldn't make it because if you're that passionate about it why wouldn't you put more money into it i mean even if it's your own if it's your own money yeah just drum
1: up some funds. yeah just just, or just
0: save a bit longer yeah exactly (laughs) put put that shit on a credit card rent a red or an Alexa yeah. do the exact same movie and it'll probably look great. Yeah.
1: Come on. Get in debt.
0: Get in debt to make some art. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and I know that I'm singling out that one movie just because they contacted us and made us take the review down or asked us to take the review down. But I've noticed that this, this has happened multiple times on different re- movies that we get in where it's like, you know, the, the filmmaker, And I'm not saying that the filmmaker's not passionate about their idea, but if you don't have the budget to make it look the way you want, then you need to rethink it.
1: Well, I think that sort of stems from what was... um, I think that's the problem now with it being so easy to make films. Yeah. Is just get a lot of people that are just like, oh, let's, let's make a movie. We don't have the money to do it, but let's just do it.
0: And you know, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm all for people, you know, honing their craft by getting out there and just doing it. I think that that's probably one of the best ways to learn. But if you're trying to, if you make that movie, your learning movie, and you are trying to submit it to festivals and critics to be reviewed, you're gonna, you're gonna get hit with it. You know, like if it's, if it's not looking good, if it looks like you shot it on an iPhone...
1: Well, that's another thing that sort of confuses me a bit is if you're not willing to take honest feedback or critiques of, you know, an artwork that you have made and presented to the public, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Because that's just going to happen.
0: And for the rest of your career. There was there was another movie that was submitted to us that we reviewed this week, and I gave that movie an even worse review, and the filmmaker emailed me back and said, you know, thank you for your honesty, and he was, like, really nice, and he, he it was exactly what he wanted because he wanted the criticism. He wanted to get a fresh set of eyes on his movie and, you know, look at what didn't work for someone else and and with our reviews i'm never trying to be disrespectful or offensive or malicious in any way i'm trying to point out real problems and i'm trying to look at everything in an objective way so you know just just something to think about (laughs) for for young filmmakers if you're really passionate about your movie then put your money where your mouth is Because Um, it's not going to help anybody if you have a really crappy old camera, digital camera. One that I did see that another one that I wanted to mention uh, that was submitted to us is a movie that's going to be out on DVD and video on demand Tuesday. It's called In Heaven There Is No Beer, and it's a documentary about the Kiss or Kill music scene in LA in the early two thousands. I think it was like two thousand seven or two thousand two to two thousand seven. And, you know, I don't, I was really into like punk music when I was younger and I didn't really know too much about the LA scene coming from the East coast, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but apparently there was like this, this every Tuesday, there'd be this show called kiss or kill and they'd have like a whole bunch of bands and it was, it, it kind of flipped the whole indie scene in LA during that time because at the time there were like no really good shows that had decent indie music. It was all kind of this like weird mishmash of different bands and different genres and it was like really weird how they did it in LA back then. And then Kiss or Kill came came out and like kinda just changed everything over there. It was pretty interesting. I mean, I, I don't live in LA, so there was kind of a disconnect there. And a lot of the bands are I never even heard of some of them. I did like the muffs uh, was, they were on there. Uh, Bang sugar, bang was on there and there were a couple other ones, but it was a pretty interesting documentary. I always have kind of a soft spot for music docs, especially if it's about like punk music. So
1: you are all about those punk punk
0: docs. I sure am. I love that music. I really love the punk docs. Love them. Love the punk docs. <laughs> uh. So anyway, I just wanted to, we will have a review for that up on Tuesday. So check that one out. I just want to give a little plug for it.
1: Oh, okay. All right. I watched a, a jazz doc. A sort, jazz? Of a, a, sort of the complete opposite of a punk doc, I think. Maybe. This was uh, South by Southwest. And I just want to mention this because number one, I watched it. It's called The Case of the Three-Sided Drink. Now, the main reason that I watch this is because I'm a huge son, Roland Kirk fan, who that's what the entire documentary is about, is his musical career. And I just, it's extremely interesting to see. It's not, it's not a very well-made documentary. Unfortunately, it just feels like the director, Adam Gahan, just sort of gathered, cultivated all these YouTube clips and just sort oh, of organized oh. them.
0: Yeah, I should also mention really quickly, sorry, that the the other one that I just talked about was not very well made either. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's
1: extremely, extremely interesting and impressive, mostly because Kirk himself is interesting and impressive. And I will give him credit that Adam Cahan picked some of the best YouTube clips that he could find to sort of <laughs> present this. You know, like he did a good job of... You know, sort of gathering all of these together and organizing everything, and sort of telling a narrative here. So, it, in that sense, it works. I mean, the only other thing inside of it is it's littered with your standard talking head format interviews with like bandmates and family members and that stuff. But they don't really add that much to the story, except one one bandmate talks about Kirk's ability to circular breathe, which is insane. So, number one, this guy's blind, right? And the other reason I bring this up is because uh, listeners might not know this, but me and Adam were um, probably some of the greatest saxophone players. Oh, my God. In elementary school. Yeah. Easily. And Kirk is a saxophone player. So, number one, he's blind, okay? Number two, he can play pretty much any instrument. He can play clarinet, flute, saxophone, stretch, manzello, like pretty much any kind of woodwind there is he can play it and he actually modifies them himself he can play the recorder and the flute with his nose and he also plays three woodwinds at the same time
0: yeah it's crazy
1: so you remember how hard it is to play one woodwind at the same time (laughs) imagine doing three wrapped around your neck and he'll even he'll he'll get he'll get like a flute up in the nose at the same time so he's doing like four four at the same time and the, like I mentioned, he can circular breathe, so he can hold a note for like 15 minutes. So what he'll do is he will exhale and inhale at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So and he plays like very up tempo. It's not like he's playing Kenny G type shit here. So he does all that, and that's just mind blowing in and itself. That's just unbelievably impressive. And they show you all these clips of him doing it. You know, when the bandmate does the talks about the circular breathe, then they followed up with him doing like a 10 minute rendition of circular breathing and he just goes apeshit. Hmm. But the other thing that's impressive is he had a massive stroke at 39 that left him paralyzed and he came back from it and kept playing. So what he ended up doing is he only regained movement in one side of his body. So he manually modified his saxophone that he could play it one handed and then went back out on tour now playing saxophone. With only one hand.
0: Yeah, I don't even know how that's possible.
1: So what he would do is, you know, your right hand with that controls. He modified his saxophone that he could do everything that the right hand does. He could do with the pinky on his left hand. So his pinky on his left hand was his right hand. Hmm. And he would hide his arm because he felt that he was cheating people. If they knew that he was only
0: playing one handed. Interesting. I mean, this guy's just amazing. I saw a movie that is not like that at all it's <laughs> it called free to play and this is actually a free documentary available on steam of all places you know okay. the the gaming network yeah on pc uh valve actually made this game or movie it's a documentary about the dota world championships now if you haven't if you're not familiar with that game it's a it's a PC game that's, like, super popular, and it's um, it's kind of a... The type of game it is, they, they call it a MOBA, which is a multiplayer online battle arena. Okay. And these are games that have become super, super popular within, like, the last probably two years, three years. And there's been a whole slew of them popping up everywhere. League of Legends is one that's another popular example, but... It's uh Dota is a game that's it's free to play. So anybody can download it and play it, but it's one of those games that has microtransactions in it. So, you know, if you want more characters or whatever, you have to pay for them. At any rate, this is a documentary about like the world championships of that game, and the grand prize was a million dollars, and it's the most that any gaming competition has given out to a first place winner. Wow. So it just kind of talks about the the concept of professional gaming and competition uh, like gaming competitions and things like that. It's, it's it's kind of interesting. I feel like I've seen documentaries like this before about like professional gaming. Mhm. I might be just thinking of the MTV True Life I'm a professional gamer. <laughs> I seem to remember that but I'm not into the game dota so there was a little bit uh it was a little bit lacking for me because I don't I never played the game and I don't really know too much about it it's too involved for me like there's like a 100 plus characters need to learn each character and the moves and how to counter other characters and there's just it's like too much strategy sounds like
1: you gotta have a lot of time Dedicate to this yeah, game.
0: Yeah, you do. But it was really interesting. Like they followed certain players, certain specific players from each team. Uh the, the one guy was from uh Ukraine, one guy was from the United States, one guy was from Singapore, and they just kind of follow them, get talk about their backstory and stuff like that. It was a pretty typical competition documentary. Mm-hmm. Now, I I feel like we've seen a lot of these popping up. I don't know where that started. Maybe um, "Spellbound" was, I think, when the, these types yeah. of documentaries really started taking off.
1: Yeah, could be.
0: But it's it's a free it's a free movie, so it, it's pretty well made as well. So yeah, light recommend.
1: Light recommend. Yeah, right.
0: I saw the Dance of
1: Reality. Ah yes, the new the newest Jodorowsky. It was fantastic. It's a very sort of like memoir type film, sort of highlighting the like early, early stages of his life, uh, say like preteen, maybe. I think it was like the preteen age of his life with his mom and his his dad living in Chile. And he sort of goes back through it. But of course, he goes through it, his reminiscences are filtered through that Joe Dawarski, like Fantastical surrealism type style that is prevalent in all of his other films, which is fantastic. I wish more people would do this, but uh, obviously there's not a lot of directors out there like dwarski
0: There's actually, uh, since uh, funny you mentioned that, there's a Nick Cave uh, movie coming out. Have you heard of this? It's called like Twenty Thousand. What's it called? Like Twenty Thousand Days on Earth or something like that, uh, and it's. I've slightly heard of it. Yes, it's like it's not necessarily a biopic about Nick Cave, but it kind of is at the same time. Kind <laughs> of is
1: at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's like a fictional. It's like a fictional day in the life of Nick Cave.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: It's kind of it sounds kind of weird.
1: That sound a little weird. Well, this one he sort of goes back through his memories, like the memories of his father, the memories of his mother, the mother in the film. Sings all of her dialogue like an opera singer. Uh, His father is seems to be in a very exaggerated uh, communist that's just obsessed with masculinity, like how to be a man and you have to be a man, and all that type of stuff. And it's just sort of it shows you a lot of his influences, like how things that has shaped him as the artist that he is today. So you'll actually see, like, throughout the film, you'll see, like, all these little touches, like, oh, I remember seeing that in Santa Sangre. Like, now now you sort of get, like, a maybe, like, a little bit of backstory. Like, it fill you in and see, you know, where the influence came from or things from the Holy Mountain or El Topo. You know, you see, like, all these movies within this sort of autobiographical film, and you're like, oh, I'll You see all these things that sort of influenced him and shaped him, which is, in one way, it's fantastic because it works as like the perfect starting point of his filmography. Like you can watch this and it'll give you like background on the director and everything. And you sort of see his early life and the things that shaped him, influenced him. And then when you go through and watch all of his films, you sort of have an understanding of where he's coming from or... You can do it the other way is go through his entire filmography and then watch this movie last and it sort of fills in everything for you that you've been seeing throughout the years. Hmm. It's just, there's, of course, you know, it and Joe Dawarski, The the visuals are unbelievable. Um, and since it's more of a like a personal story, the narrative doesn't seem to sort of, I'll, you know, wear out its welcome. Like, I get the sense that a lot of his other movies do, at least for me is that they're just a bit too surreal and they get a bit too metaphorical and they're entirely too long, usually. And mm-hmm. the surrealism just gets a bit overwhelming after a while and you're just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. But this one, since it's a personal story, this it seems like he has a lot more invested in this and the, it works a lot better than his other films do. Cool, I, I highly recommend it.
0: This comes out May 23rd in limited release, uh, but it screened at South by. And I think that it premiered at, I think it was
1: can. I think it
0: premiered. At oh 10. yeah, it did. Yeah. It was part of the director's fortnight at Cannes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and
1: oddly enough, this
0: is in one
1: week, I saw two films where someone pissed on someone. Eh. <laughs> so in the dance of reality, the mother pisses on the father and the father's actually played by Joe Jodowarski's son. So, it's a father <laughs> directing a female actor to piss on his son, like piss on his face too. Oh, nice. She just stands over him and just pisses all over him. Nice. So
0: that yeah. happens. <laughs> well, we'll come out we'll come back to some <laughs> face pissing in <laughs> just a minute. <laughs> Uh, there was only other, one other one that I wanted to quickly mention, and it's a, it's a movie called Happy Camp, comes out on DVD and Video On Demand, Tuesday, found footage horror movie. Oh, Um, stop right there and let's move on. Now, I don't understand why they keep sending us these found footage horror movies. Like, I would think at this point, (laughs) they should know. Well, they obviously don't listen to us (laughs) or read anything on On our website. And and usually, you know, usually I'll get it in and I won't know. Like, I won't know that it's a found footage horror movie. And then I put it on and I'm just like, oh, no, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) When it starts and it always they always start the same where there's like that bit of text at the beginning that that sets everything up where it's like in the town of Happy Camp. Over 600 people have been missing in the last 10 years.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. Do you a just documentary all...
0: crew goes in to see what's going
1: on. Do you just like automatically pause it, run to the liquor store, get
0: yourself a bottle, uh, come back? I'll, I'll be and... <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It took me four days to get through this one. <laughs> that should
1: be. I think that should be like the new measurement. How, how long for films takes. that we that we don't like is how how long it takes you to get through them.
0: Yeah, this one, uh, so the first time I attempted it, I fell asleep. Second time, I fell asleep. The third time, I turned it off because I just wasn't into it. And then finally, I did finish it. So I got through the whole thing. It just took me a while. Uh, With this one, it's about Bigfoot. Uh I don't know if that's a spoiler. I don't think it is, but it's about Bigfoot. The thing about it is, though, you never... It's a Blair Witch type, so it's super, Uh super slow burn. Okay. And nothing happens until the very end. Okay. And when it does happen, it is so ridiculous and disappointing. The characters are horrible. The acting is horrible. It's it's so funny because like the the dialogue in it's so bad and like I was watching it and there's a scene that happens where the guy has like a nightmare and he wakes up and he's like oh, oh, and he starts crying. And then okay. the next scene cuts to the next scene and they're in their RV and they're on their way to happy camp and he starts the guy starts talking about what it was like to live there as a kid and then he starts crying and his girlfriend who was just with him in the previous scene goes i've never seen you cry before <laughs> and i'm like we all saw him cry like two seconds ago <laughs> it sounds like all he does is cry <laughs> Well, it's a it's a very dramatic movie. Like it shouldn't be if it's about Bigfoot. What well, that's your first yeah, mistake. Yeah, at, at one at one point, the guy's like, "This is just too much. I need to get out of here. Just just leave me alone. I need to take a walk." So he walks away, and everybody, which is like three other people, so it's his girlfriend and then two other dudes, they just start yelling, like calling him, and then they and then there's a whole extended scene of them trying to find him, and they're like freaking out because they can't find him. And then they do find him, and they're like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? Dude, what the fuck, man? And he's yeah, like, what? He's, what? he's like, I just went for a walk. I told you I was leaving.
1: Oh, my God. This sounds amazing. It's It's so bad. I, I, <laughs> I see that it's produced by Drew Barrymore. It is, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, Lord have mercy. It, but it's it's very poorly done uh it's so what's oh my god. what's what's better
1: happy camp or the jack links beef jerky commercials
0: <laughs> oh god <laughs> the, the jack links beef jerky commercials are a thousand times better uh um, sasquatch
1: so, i was hoping, i was hoping you would say that oh my god so I would wa- you so would you advise people to watch those instead of
0: course. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure there's like some sort of compilation video of those on YouTube. Just watch those. <laughs> uh, I'll have a full review of it. I already you have it written. It'll be shouldn't. up on Tuesday. You shouldn't.
1: <laughs> you sh- you sh- the reviews would just be, it took me four days to see this, to finish it. And also the Jack Link's beef jerky commercials are much better. <laughs> they like, that's all you need to know, really. Yeah. That should tell you right there, like, no, I I should not waste my time with a film called Happy Camp.
0: Well, the reason that I was kind of interested in it is because I saw the poster. And I thought that it was going to be like, maybe kind of like an 80s throwback uh, summer camp slasher movie or something like that. It does give that feel. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll check this out. (laughs) And Boy, was I wrong. Oh. God, that yeah, so that's th- that's all I got. I have
1: one more. I watched a, a George Frangou movie. You know the guy that did Eyes Without a Face, uh, 1974. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this title. I, I did. I do know that in the UK it was released as Shadow Man, which is much easier to pronounce. Uh, but I'll give it a shot anyways because I love to embarrass myself. Uh, Newts, yeah. We just already butchered it. We're gonna go with Shadow Man. <laughs> uh, the uh, funny, the funny thing is, like I, you know, I'll do, I'll sort of research all my pronunciations, and I always forget one. I always forget to look mm-hmm. up one. I do, I do that too. <laughs> and then I get to, it and I'm just like, oh, shit. Well, here we go. It's it's a lot like Danger Diabolic. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It it feels a lot like that, um, except for the fact that the main character in this film, the villain, is he's the man without a face. He always wears a red ski mask with the eye holes cut out. That's he always wears it. If he's not wearing that, he has like a hundred different disguises that he uses, and one of them actually involves he gives himself uh, an eye cavity, like he's missing an eye. Hmm. He doesn't incorporate an eye patch into this disguise. He just lets that cavity just lets it hang out. Just lets it out there, man, which is fantastic. But he has all these disguises. They he's an asshole, much like Diebach, but he's more of a murdery asshole than like a dickish like prankster. And I'm just fucking with the cops and stuff. Like endanger Diebach. This guy's just murdering people left and right. all because he wants Hmm. this treasure of the Knights Templar I'm already sold yeah they don't tell you why he wants it or what he wants to do with it he just wants the damn thing and he'll do anything to get it and I mean he kills like crazy he has these like daggers that he shoots out like Spider-Man So, and he has this whole like underground lair where he has this entire team of like everyone wears black mask and black jumpsuits And they're all like clerical office workers and much like the other film that you're talking about he has like surveillance all over paris and london like he can see anything anywhere and he just hangs out in his lair and just trying to get this knight's templar treasure so he has there's one scene where he picks up the guy that knows where the treasure is and it's a fake taxi driven by a mannequin with a mustache which you can clearly tell But for some reason, when this guy got into the taxi, he didn't think anything of it. But even just looking at the back of the mannequin's head, you're like, that's not a real person. (laughs) But (laughs) he he doesn't think fucking anything about it. Doesn't think twice. So, and the man without a face is driving it remotely from his lair. And then, you know, the cops find out. So he dumps the guy out and then explodes, remote detonates the taxi, which was like an awesome sequence. And here, what they end up doing, the police working with a private detective and the guy that knows the secret of the Knights Templar, they just keep coming up with a series of traps. They just keep setting these traps to try and catch the man without a face, except that they never fucking catch him because they're idiots. Like, they (laughs) fail miserably with every single one of their traps. So much so that the one time the private detective pulls a gun completely has the man without a face right there, goes to pull the trigger, and he's like, oh, I forgot to load it. <laughs> and you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? It's just, it's so ridiculous. There's really no logic to it, but my God, is it fun.
0: How did you see this movie?
1: I i also imported this one. This is on Eureka's Masters of Cinema okay. collection. And I got it. It comes, you get this film and judix which Judix was actually just announced that it will be released by Criterion. It's going to get the Criterion treatment. Which, unfortunately, they're not going to do the twofer like Masters of Cinema did. But I, yeah, you need to see this. I oh, think you'll, yeah.
0: you'll absolutely gonna love it. I'm going to watch it this week.
1: Yeah, you're going
0: to love it, man.
1: It is just, it's so much fun. I'm definitely going to
0: watch it this week. Let's move on. Talk about our first review of the week. I'm going to do a little festival film. Now this is uh this is a movie I, I feel like it it's gotten no exposure buzz at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know why, but we're going to be talking about Jeff Barnaby's Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Now this premiered at TIFF, I believe, last year and uh I think it did have a run in Canada, but I don't it didn't come out in the US. I don't know if there are any plans for it to come out in the US. And I don't really, I don't really understand why.
1: I don't either. It seems like the type of film that would do not uh, I th- exceptionally well, but I think it would, you know, have a decent I think following. It,
0: I think it would find an audience here for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, the synopsis for this says: Guided by the spirits of her departed mother and brother, an Aboriginal teenager plots revenge against a sadistic Indian agent. Uh, now. One of the most interesting things I found about this movie was I didn't really understand. I, I never heard of this uh, story about what happened back then. This takes place in what the the, the is it the sixties? Yeah, I'm not
1: sure exactly when it takes place. But yeah, I know what you're saying because I number one, I never heard of this this native tribe.
0: Yeah. So basically,
1: the Mi'kmauls. I've never so, heard of them.
0: Yeah, so basically it's like an Indian tribe that they, they live on, I guess, what could be considered a reservation, but at the same time, they're still required to go to school. And if they don't go to school, they have to pay a truancy tax. And if they don't pay the truancy tax, then the children get taken out of their homes and put into a, like a boarding school run by the church. Is that correct? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, something like that. like close enough.
0: And there's, like, no regulation on these no. these boarding schools. And they're allowed to abduct these children by any means necessary. And once they're in the school, there's, like, there, there are no rules or anything. So they can, like, abuse the kids. They can be just horrible to these kids. And uh, th- this film kind of talks about this one specific uh, group of people at this like reservation and one, one family in particular. And it's pretty disturbing at some, at yeah, some points. It's it, it's, it gets into some really deep shit. It's,
1: I knew it was going to be a little dark and there's going to be some brutality in it, but the way that this film starts off, Oh my God. Like that sets everything in motion. It, I was not ready for that. that yeah. It, it just, it, really gets you within yeah. like the first, I'd say, was it like the first 10 minutes, five minutes, something like that? Yeah, it was really early on. It just completely destroys you. And then it's like, hey, we got another hour and 20 minutes to go. You ready?
0: <laughs> you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a very, very brutal movie. And I, I love the way it was shot. Like the look of it, I was just, I loved it. That the, the whole scene where... They're at the party and she's wearing the gas mask and talking about the different blunts that she rolls and stuff, just yes. how, how all that was shot. It looked amazing. And
1: yeah, and all the embellishments that you can get for your blunts. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I have to say, those were beautiful blunts. Yeah, they were. They, they looked like amazing. Like the honey dipped one. Yeah. And, not so sure about the formaldehyde one. No, nah, I'm not into that.
1: <laughs> I'm not into that at all. But she rolls a she rolls a mean blunt.
0: Yeah, she does. And I, I thought that the, the main the main girl, uh what's her name? Devere Jacobs. Devere Jacobs. I thought she did a pretty great job. And I thought that the father did a really good job too. I can't remember his name either. Glenn oh, Gold.
1: Yeah, Mark Anthony, uh or Mark Anthony Krupa, the guy that played the Indian agent popper. Mm-hmm. Man, he was fucking evil.
0: Yep.
1: He's the embodiment of evil.
0: Yeah, and it is it is kind of a a revenge story, but it's also about like these these kids too. So it's it's got kind of a I don't want to say a Stand By Me vibe to it, but it's something similar to that, where these this group of kids kind of band together to get back at -hmm. this evil headmaster. So there is this whole revenge plot that's going on, which I mean, who doesn't love a good revenge story? Oh yeah and the pay- the payoff at the end is pretty intense as well oh yeah
1: it, it that was the only
0: I think a bit of a problem that I have with this film is it
1: it made it sound like it was all about this revenge storyline oh, yeah. but it's, the revenge doesn't come until like the very end of the film it right it takes and this huge digression when her father gets out of jail and like comes back to the reservation to the home and see how everything has changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the whole revenge thing is more of a subplot than anything. I mean, yeah. it doesn't happen until much, much later. And it's not even like a big thing. Like, they don't <laughs> spend that much time on it. it. It kind of... It's kind of sidelined compared to just the overarching story about how things function in this reservation, the problems that they have, and then the issues that they are constantly having to deal with. And they also actually... There's some flashbacks too, so we get the backstory of the father and the, uh, yeah, the uh, the headmaster guy Popper. So it it does kind of, uh, and I think that's really the the main problem that I have with
1: it. I still enjoyed it, but the thing that made it or kept it from being great is just it seemed a bit unfocused at times. It would like uh, he was trying, he's trying to do way too much with the, the little amount of time that he had.
0: Yeah, it would. The, it was like it was getting sidetracked several times. Like the, mm-hmm. and I, I understand. I maybe just how it was organized. Maybe it could be pre- presented a little bit differently or something. Yeah, because really, like the flashback, the flashbacks would cause the film to kind of lose momentum. But at the same time, it helped us understand the relationship between mm-hmm. Joseph and Popper. And so I don't really know what I would say would be a better way of presenting that. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I also found it extremely interesting that Barnaby didn't, didn't go the route of really just putting all the blame on the Indian agents. Yeah. You know, their brutality and everything. It it sort of, it seemed like he was blaming both. Well, the Mi'kmaq tribe and the Indian agents. It's sort of how they would work with each other, especially with her uncle Burner.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like they the tr- the tribe had problems of its own. I mean, yeah. would they be getting into all this trouble if they just sent the kids to school? <laughs> just send them to school. Jesus, they're little kids. So I think that maybe both sides were partially to blame. Obviously, the the school the the Indian agents are far worse. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely. I would definitely say that you don't have to be that brutal because it's pretty much anytime they show up, people are getting kicked and punched in the
0: face. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They, they can just do it. It's, it's like mean, a they pat- can, it's a they can steal, steal your, they can steal your children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how fucked up is that?
1: Which again, it's, you know, with us being from the U.S., I have never heard of any of this stuff that took place in Canada. You know what I mean? Like I have yeah. this stere like the stereotype that we have is that Canada's just really friendly, They're just mm-hmm. really nice people. And I just thought like, oh, they stupid me. I'm thinking, oh, they probably treated their natives a lot better than we did. And yeah. It's like, yeah, no, everyone apparently treated natives like everyone shit. shit
0: on the natives. <laughs> yeah, oh, my Native- God. I guess you would call them Native Canadians.
1: I, I that was and another what- thing
0: that I was wondering. It's like
1: we call them Native Americans, dude. Would they it's, also it's, be
0: Native Americans? I mean, I guess they would technically still be <laughs> yeah. Native Americans. Yeah, you could say that,
1: yeah, because it is still America.
0: It's interesting. I don't know. Do they call? I think they do call them Indians in the movie. I think so. I think they do.
1: I don't know if that's... I think that might have been in a derogatory way. can't remember.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, plus it did take place decades ago, so it was probably back when that was okay to say that. I'm just calling them McMalls.
1: McMauls, <laughs> I mean, you learn. I've never heard of McMauls.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting story. It is. It's violent. It's brutally violent, but <laughs> in in just in small sections, it's not like a bloodbath <laughs> throughout. But when it when it hits, it does hit hard. So uh, I definitely recommend it. I don't know <laughs> for our U.S. listeners. I don't know when it's going <laughs> to be coming out. Hopefully, somebody. We'll pick it up'll
1: we'll we let you know
0: oh yeah I mean I'm definitely gonna be keeping my eye on it and I'm gonna be keeping my eye on the director too because I yeah, like I, I like the look of it so
1: that's what I'm saying like if he can just work us on work on that on the focus man I think he's gonna he's gonna make something great
0: now what are you gonna give rhymes for young ghouls out of 10
1: out of 10 I give it I'm like I'm waffling between a six and a seven.
0: I'm gonna say I, th- I can't even remember what I gave it maybe a six and a half I think
1: six and a half so I think we're good I think that's tandem six and a half all
0: right let's move on talk about some nymphomaniac sure so this is directed by Lars von Trier now we're gonna be reviewing both parts because <sighs> <laughs> uh, both parts are out now on video on demand stars Charlotte Gainsbourg, Stellan Skarsgård, Shia LaBeouf, Christian Slater, Uma Thurman, and Jamie Bell—a bunch of other people too. Tons of people in this movie. The synopsis says the self-diagnosed nymphomaniac recounts her erotic experiences to the man who saved her after a beating. Kevin, what mm. do you think? What did you think of *Nymphomaniac*?
1: Ooh, now. how How are we
0: doing this? How are we doing this? Are we doing Uh, as as one? Are we doing volume one, volume two? Well, I I don't know. Like, originally, before I saw volume two, I was like, okay, well, we can just review it as one movie. Because that's how it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be just one movie. But then, after seeing volume two, I liked volume one a whole lot more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I don't know. I don't know I, how to uh It sounds like we're on the same page here. I don't know how to proceed with that. So
1: I would say let's 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 do it this way. If if we're doing it as one film, Infomaniac starts off great and then just makes this complete tonal shift and just sort of gets into ridiculous.
0: It's laughable. <laughs> it's funny because it, it's, just, it it just falls apart. Massively. Even though it was supposed to be one movie it really does feel like it's two movies it, it does feel like two movies i i have to say that i was
1: surprised by volume one i was like okay this is this is not exactly what i was thinking going into it i like what he's doing because it almost feels like you know he's making these ridiculous correlations between joe's nymphomania her recounting her sex life and you know they tie it into scars guard's fascination the, with fly fishing like, yeah. and you know just all this stuff and it's like i okay this is interesting i like the way this is set up it's almost like a a megachev type film the yugoslavian director where he would do this stuff and then he would make these digressions like out of the main story and he would digress and show you like little tidbits and it would sort of go off into like a documentary type deal which you know sort of happens in the first volume where you know he would talk about the fly fishing and it would be images of fly fishing and people (laughs) tying the lures and showing you techniques and everything. I was like, okay, this is interesting. I like this, but volume two, just, I, I don't know when they get to the point where Willem Dafoe's character is injected into the story and just where it goes from there. It just,
0: yeah. When it came over the top for me, when she gets like her little, uh, like a little helper person, her 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 successor or whatever. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the whole well first it starts out like, with the extortion business that she has going on, and then she gets her helper that she mentors or whatever the hell that is. I just completely lost interest. Yeah. It's like this I, is I actually this is stupid.
0: I agree a hundred percent. Um I I really liked volume one. Like I was I didn't really know what to expect going into it and uh I I loved it. I thought it was great the visually i mean lars von trier just has an eye for mm-hmm. for visuals and i loved everything he did like putting the text up on the screen like the uh, three plus five thing and just all of that all of that stuff <laughs> the, the whole or the five whole, plus three i guess was yeah was. or no it was three plus five was and it? then yeah
1: plus and five. then the whole no, opening yeah, right. the whole opening I just loved how oh, the camera yeah, was just floating through the alleyways. That's that gonna you, be the next thing I said, Yeah, <laughs> it starts with Rammstein, I, which uh, oh, it just it caught me off guard. and I'm like, okay, this is gonna be completely different
0: than what I thought. I loved, I loved the use of the Rammstein. <laughs> I don't, I thought it was incredible. I, I enjoyed it as well. He did do
1: the old uh, reverse, which I absolutely hate. Anytime that that's used when they you know the two girls going down the corridor of the train and then he like rewound it and just yeah. like, oh, stop
0: I thought that was fine I wasn't bothered by that and I
1: some other choices that I didn't enjoy the the chapter that I thought was the best visually was it, when uh, delirium when he goes into the black and white uh-huh. I just thought that that was absolutely gorgeous it it was great to see some just breathtaking black and white photography.
0: What did you think about the uh, the? I think it was in volume two the the callback to Antichrist. I mean, it had to be a callback to Antichrist the with the baby outside. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I it just as soon as it starts snowing
0: and then the baby's getting out.
1: Same music. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, it's gonna go the same way. <laughs> no, but there is a lit There is little callbacks everywhere. I like when Stellan Skarsgård has like his little, his image of her education, mm-hmm. her like sexual education. And when she's like bent over the table, there's a fox there. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're and his damn foxes and that. And then when, um you know, when she was checking her messages, one of them was uh, Fisher, mm-hmm. which was the element of crime. So i like the little, you know, his little references throughout.
0: Yeah, I liked that. I liked that too. I loved all the different... I just thought it was really interesting all the different parallels that Mm -hmm. Stellan Skarsgård would would draw between different areas of her sexual life and, and different things that he had interest in. I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing where he, because he couldn't relate to her, he was trying to, you know, draw these different parallels with different things and I thought that that was really interesting too. And I loved the the cutaways to like the stock <laughs> the stock footage of fly fishing, and I thought that was great. It is. It's it's pretty funny too because I I do love the I
1: think what is it the prusik knot his digression on that, and after he's finished Charlotte Gainsbury's just like I think that was your weakest digression.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's um... just, and it, that was the the odd thing is. The whole time I just I loved the the back and forth between Charlotte and Stellan. Like that was the portion that I liked of the film. Anytime that they went back to like her sex life, you mm-hmm. know, with like Shia LaBeouf and Stacey Martin and stuff, I was just bored. It's like I don't I don't want this anymore. I just want more of them making ridiculous correlations.
0: Yeah, some of some of it I thought was fine, but some of it just felt like it was going on for too long, and um, one one issue I had was the the accents from Shia LaBeouf and Christian Slater specifically yeah. those two. Definitely Slater, I thought. I just it's had just a, really weird. Yeah, I mean Shia LaBeouf's wasn't as bad as Slater's, but for both of them, yeah. and I don't know if maybe it's just because I know that they're putting that accent on, but to me it just. I don't know. You see, it was, was interesting it? to see Shia LaBeouf not play
1: like an overly emotional wuss, which is <laughs> pretty much the only character that he plays. It was nice to see him in something in a different role. And actually, yeah. I think it was actually the the best I've seen him. It's funny, not, um, not with,
0: I mean, if you if you take out the the accent, I guess it's the best I've seen him. What was the one that he was a guide to recognizing your saints? He was really good in that oh yeah he was good in that. um it was funny ryan saw this too i don't know if he saw volume two but he definitely saw volume one and i didn't i didn't like talk to him about it previously but i was talking to him on the phone and the first thing he asked me about nymphomaniac he goes was that really Shia LaBeouf's dick I <laughs> was like the only thing <laughs> Uh, I was like out of all things. Yep. The only that's, question you have is about his dick.
1: That's that's Ryan for you. Because I that was when it gets to the like the snapshot parade of penises. <laughs> yeah. I was just so, like that's all I could think of was like we have to make Ryan watch this.
0: Yeah. He he watched it. I think he liked it. But um, what did you think? I mean, obviously <clears throat> we got to got to talk a little bit about the uh, the, yeah, sex, the, the sex the sex sex the
1: sex is i mean it's a very tame i thought compared to what i, I mean, envisioned I mean, in, I in,
0: in my head i was like oh man this is gonna be rough well that this... was
1: that was the first thing that i thought was very interesting when they made like the fly fishing correlation because i was thinking like ah, oh, that's sort of like what Fontrier trier did himself like he was all this talk about oh it's gonna be explicit sex and it's gonna be real sex on screen and people just had this, you know, sort of like him casting a line with his bait, like just getting people riled up like, oh my God, this is going to be insane. The sex is going to be ridiculous. And then when you actually see it, you're like, oh, fuck. It was hooded. Yeah, wasn't well, that bad. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I really didn't care about the sex going in and it wasn't that bad. I just, I'm going into it. I was just like, I don't want to see sex for,
0: you know, what, cause what is it
1: like four hours?
0: Yeah,
1: I'm like I just I
0: I don't want to watch sex for four hours. And that's exact. That's kind of what I was expecting going in. That it was just going to be nonstop, you know, yeah, balls to the wall, just nonstop. literal balls. Scene after scene, yeah, literally balls <laughs> to the wall. <laughs> and I mean, it does get. I feel like the second part gets a little bit more graphic in what it shows. Yeah, uh, she- but I'll tell you that scene. I don't think I'm giving away like a huge spoiler, but there's a scene where she's getting whipped, mm-hmm. and that I shit didn't... looked so real. Yeah, I didn't mean to see that. I mean, I was, part of me was like, this has to be real. Whatever's happening here, because it just looked so fucking real.
1: It did, it did look pretty real. I'll give you that.
0: That was really disturbing. But... Yeah, it was just
1: extremely disturbing. Yeah. And, uh... it. and I mean, number one thing that I have, the problem that I have with this movie, it's entirely too long. You could easily cut out a lot of fat here. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that just doesn't need to be here.
0: I agree. I agree. And I mean, it is already <clears throat> cut. It is. They already cut. They already <laughs> cut like half an hour, I think, out of it. They could so, cut out
1: like a full two hours. Easy.
0: I think that they, they could have easily truncated this into just one movie. One yeah. two hour movie. Yeah.
1: Or maybe, you know, maybe two hours, 20 minutes.
0: I felt like. Two and a half. Two and a half yeah. Yeah, maybe. I felt like a lot of the stuff with Christian Slater, like her relationship with her dad. I thought that they just, it's got, the, 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 I thought that was too much. Like they got re- into that. It felt too repetitive.
1: Much. Like they just kept repeating the same yeah, thing and, over and like, over again. Him and his ash tree.
0: Yeah. Yes. And like you said, like that that scene with his with her father, I thought looked great, but to me that was just going on for too long. Maybe it's just because I found it to be unpleasant what was happening yeah. to him and stuff.
1: Well, I found the the most uncomfortable scene for me was Uma Therma. Oh,
0: yeah. That was, She, that
1: was Uma, Uma Therma plays the most pathetic character I've ever seen. The whoring just, bed. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, she embarrasses herself.
0: The whoring bed. Can we show the kids the whoring bed? I don't, I've never heard that term before and I just love it. <laughs> whoring bed. Oh yeah, that was a that was it kind was, of a rough. That a was rough, rough to watch. Yeah, that
1: was very difficult. Very she difficult. She just starts screaming. And <clears throat> <laughs> she
0: just loses. It, just starts screaming. And I'm just I'm
1: sitting there watching, just thinking you're just you're embarrassing yourself. Hmm. Like you're gonna your life's gonna get wrecked by this guy because he's a douchebag.
0: Oh, what an idiot Thugging, though the the husband.
1: Come on, grow a set. Oh, well, that's, that's the main thing with the film that I did find very, very interesting is towards like the very end where they sort of discuss, you know, her nymphomania and, you know, how could the story be different if she was a man, you know, would it, it would be completely different, you mm-hmm. know, she wouldn't, there's so much pressure put on her for just because she's a different gender. And I think it is very interesting to think that the entire time that you're watching this and she's telling her story and the people that, you know, come in contact with her, like all the judgment is placed on her. Right. Which yep. is odd because there's there's a whole nother side that <laughs> is engaging with her that is not saying no. And but no judgment is passed on that, even when, you know, the father leaves his wife and three kids to be with her. All the blame is put onto her. All the judgment is put onto her. Nothing, yeah. nothing is, you know, shot towards the man in any of these situations. It's all her fault.
0: Yeah, that's that's unfortunately how it is. Yeah, it is that way. And
1: it just the only other thing that bothered me was the the very end with Stellan Skarsgård because I yeah just, I knew that it was going to go that way, and I was just hoping well I knew it was going to go end. yeah. I knew so it was going to go some, some way bad. But, stereotypical. But
0: but isn't that... I mean, but I didn't want to see it, and I knew it was probably going to happen, but at the same time, I was like, this this is probably what would have happened in real life. Maybe, but...
1: I mean, the way that he's discussing about himself the entire time is it's a guy that... Masturbation didn't even do anything for him. Like, he seemed to be completely asexual. And then out of nowhere, he just flips.
0: Yeah, that, it did seem... Some like a characteristic I mean him, but the,
1: his character looks like he's 50 maybe early 60s so yeah. 50 60 years of asexuality and then all of a sudden just flips I don't know I don't think so
0: yeah I don't know uh either way overall looking looking at it overall I still I still liked it a lot like I still think that visually it was pretty amazing so it was a pretty epic story. And on Letterboxd, I gave both parts the same rating. But if I was rating them separately, I probably would, I would definitely give volume one a higher rating. But yeah, I went with an eight out of 10 on it.
1: Eight out of 10. Um, Man, if I had to put
0: you can can rate them separately. I'm going to rate them separately.
1: Okay. The first one, I'm going to go, I'm thinking like seven, thinking like a solid seven, seven and a half. Second, maybe like a five. But. So together, maybe like a six, okay. like six maybe. I don't know. Just the volume two just really fell apart for me. I just like I said, when it gets to Willem Dafoe comes in and the where the story ends up going after that is just it's yeah. Too I mean, much. I just thought it was stupid. They had something I'm, interesting going on, and then they
0: just. I don't fell. know. I mean, I I think that there were. I wasn't too bothered by where where it went from there. Like, and the, just visually it made up for it. Like her throwing the Molotov in the car and stuff looked I thought that looked awesome. And I don't know. I just, I thought it was good. I did. I did like how she jumped to the Molotov cocktail in the car and he was like, I
1: don't understand. And she's like, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to get to the next chapter. I'm well, sorry. And,
0: and But that's, that's kind of the other thing that you need to think about with this movie as a whole is this is her telling this story. A lot of this could not even be true you know what well, i mean like yeah. uh, there there could be certain things that she f- m- like mis misremembered or just didn't well remember think, correctly. Um, i've touched on it numerous times and i still have this problem is that
1: it's presented as you know like a female story told by a female by Charlotte Gainsbourg but it's not it's you know it's from von Trier so it's a male story of what he thinks female nymphomania would be like so yeah. it's completely unfounded and ridiculous, <laughs> and I'm just that inherently bothers me. I don't I don't know why. It just it just does. Yeah. Because cause even you know how he's talking about at the end, you know this sort of uh, hypocrisy to everything, and you're thinking to yourself, then why the hell are you making a film about female sexuality? You know nothing of it. You're a man. Why That's are you true. making this?
0: That is true. Because it's Lars von Trier. He's like, yeah. you know what?
1: Do what I want? Cuz like as I'm saying that, he just blares Bromstein <laughs> and just gives me the finger. <laughs> <laughs> he just does not give a shit.
0: I really I really do like Lars von Trier though. Like I'm I am definitely a huge fan of his, so.
1: I, yeah, I I am too. I think he's really one of the only directors left that has balls when it comes yeah. to directing films. <clears throat> I mean or just un- his... unfortunately it's just when you when you when you take those kinds of risks and
0: stuff it's going to be hit or miss you know it's not really like a middle ground for vontrier right it's true yeah i mean uh, certainly a lot of his movies didn't didn't work for me like the idiots did not work for me and there were a couple other ones here and there that i just wasn't that into but uh either way i still I still recommend checking out Nymphomaniac. It's available on demand, so, you know, see see the first volume. And if you don't like the first volume, then probably don't bother with the second volume, because then you'll probably really not like that one.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling that a lot of people are saying that the first one's stronger.
0: I, yeah, I would imagine that most people are saying that the first one's stronger. That's That's what a lot of people said about Kill Bill, too. Yeah. I'm just wondering what it would have been like to watch it as one one. four hour movie. And I'm also wondering because, you know, he relinquished control uh, or final cut over to the producer who did cut out a bunch of stuff and did some Mm re-edits. So I'm wondering what it would have been like to see like the actual director's cut as one movie.
1: Would be very interesting. But I, one other thing that I want to talk about is not really the movie itself, but sort of like a byproduct of it. Uh, 2014, right? And people are still just very, I don't, I'm not sure what the correct word for this is. seems to be, if maybe offended by sexuality, by sex on screen. Like, this, doesn't that just blow your mind? Yes. It's like, it's a film about sex and people are like, oh my God. It's like it's 2014 for Christ's sake.
0: Yeah, it 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 never ceases to amaze me how offended people get when there's sex on <laughs> camera, fucking and yet, sex. and yet, every day there's movies that have people you know getting blown to bits and uh, yeah, sliced I mean, up and well,
1: and half the commercials nowadays, like fucking with Axe body spray, their commercials pretty much just say like, wear stuff, you'll get fucked. Yeah. They just, they can't help it. They smell it and they just want to fuck. It's like, what? Like, you can show that as a commercial, but then like, you know, film with one penis in it and everyone's fucking losing their shit. It's like, do you not realize the only reason we're here is to have sex, essentially?
0: Yeah. Well, Uh, yeah, I don't don't know what it is. It confuses me so much. I just feel like our country is so sexually repressed and and I don't know if that's ever going to change.
1: I don't, know, I don't think it will. It's very bizarre. It's
0: humorous. Yeah. Well, uh, either way, great film about fly fishing. Great, great fly fishing <laughs> film. The, probably the best fly fishing film I've ever seen. Since since uh, it, ha- it hasn't been since a river runs through it. <laughs> since I've seen a fantastic fly fishing film. Oh God. Uh, <sighs> all right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to some predictions now. We haven't done predictions for two weeks, so I'm going to go ahead and just read off what we had two weeks ago. This was for 300 Rise of an Empire. You said 22. I said 36. Actual was 42. Mm. Mr. Peabody and Sherman, you said 60. I said 42. Actual 78. Wow. That's That's a surprise. surprise. Yeah. That's a a big surprise. And finally, the Grand Budapest Hotel. You said 120. (laughs) I said 134. (laughs) Uh actual was ninety-one.
1: Oh you gotta be kidding me.
0: Yeah, that's uh I take it that's not playing in your area. Uh
1: next week it comes out.
0: Next week. Hopefully that means it'll come out here next week, because I am yeah. absolutely dying to see that. Yeah, yes. Uh next week also we have Noah. Oh god. <laughs> Noah. <laughs> what are you what are you thinking on this one?
1: Uh hmm, I fifty two. It should be a
0: three. I'm going to say 56 on Noah. 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 (laughs) Uh, I also have Sabotage. That's the new one with uh, Arnold.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: David Ayer. Ayer. David Ayer. Directed it. This guy did... um, Oh, what was that one? End of Watch. End of Watch. Okay. So I'm
1: going to go 60 there.
0: Yeah. Might be solid. I don't know. I hope so. It, It looks... Like a, kind of like a fun, light action movie. It's based on, what is it based on? I don't know if it's a novel. I'll say 58. And finally, I believe in limited release, but we're going to do it anyway. The Raid 2. 137. 137. All right. And I'll say 295%. 295% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> For the Raid 2. <laughs> I, I think, I think that that is getting a wider release in April. I think that it's going to be getting a nationwide release in April. Just throw it in every theater tomorrow, please. It should be. Like, here's the thing about The Raid too. I, I guess maybe some... I guess it's Sony that's distributing it. They Maybe they're a little concerned about the fact that it's a, a foreign film. It doesn't have any big stars in it. But I'm telling you, that movie will sell. Like yeah, well. word of mouth alone will will sell that movie. Yes. So, uh, in limited release, we also have Caesar Chavez, which uh, that that played at South by. But I just don't have too much interest in it. I don't really, either. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it looks like it could be decent. And then also hide your smiling faces.
1: I've been wanting to see that for a while.
0: Yeah, looks uh, looks pretty good. Heard good things. Uh, next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have a whole lot of nothing.
1: Oh, yeah. A whole lot
0: of nothing. California Scheming, uh, The Conspiracy, which I thought was was decent. Found footage, though, so... You know. <laughs> God.
1: I had one, one more to end. I just hopefully, wanted to hopefully end. soon. <laughs> I just I, wanted I think, to end.
0: I think I predicted that this year we would see the, the downfall. i I, I think i I said i think i said that we were gonna start to see it taper off this year so i hope so uh we also have delivery man with vince vaughn that's the starbuck remake oh right loves her gun remember that one i do remember that one you saw that last year south by yeah and a that's a review i wish i could have back wish i
1: could rewrite that one
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't you just love that like when you write a festival oh, yeah. you, you yeah. write a festival review and then like you you go back to it like a month later and you're like what was i thinking
1: yeah this is what the fuck
0: yeah i'm I'm sure of the 19 reviews i wrote so far for this year's south by i'm pretty sure that there's gonna be some that i regret uh and then also hairbrain <clears throat> starring Brendan fraser did you see that Whoa, cover my god
1: was- he's still around
0: yeah, looks amazing. Hairbrained. Wow, it's like a tennis movie. Is it a tennis movie? It looks like a tennis movie. Oh, the one R is backwards. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, it's like Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Uh, any other any what other did, ones?
1: What do we got? Uh, criterion's we got.
0: Yeah, I think I saw some Criterion's. We got some. we
1: got three of them coming out. The biggest one is The Great Beauty. Paul oh, Sorrentos or Sorrentino, sorry, just thinking of Paul Sorrento.
0: Paul Sorvino.
1: Yeah, Sorvino. I don't know, what, whatever. <laughs> I'm Fucking losing it. Uh, The Great Beauty. I've been wanting to see this for a long time. That's That's getting the Criterion treatment. And from what I hear, the cinematography is amazing. So that actually was, see see that, that, was, that on Blu-ray. Criterion? That was
0: playing. That was playing here, by the way. Oh, Dick. Which is funny. Like I, I, I just want to say, uh The Grand Budapest Hotel is. Not playing here. The raid two is not going to be playing here. But <laughs> the great beauty, <laughs> the great beauty, was playing here for like two weeks, and then also right now in theater in four different theaters. There's Son of God and God's Not Dead. Yeah, like. what's
1: the what, what's up with that? <laughs> what's going on here? What, where is this push coming from? I have These no idea. Christian films. No, that, no the, the no, it's same not thing, dead. Same things happening here. Like I, there's really no films coming out except for we have the same thing it's Son of God and God's Not Dead.
0: And then there's some other one <sighs> too that's that's playing here in like one of the theaters it's called like Repentance or something. Yeah,
1: what the hell's uh, going on?
0: Is I have it... no idea what's happening. <laughs> and like uh-huh. I, I never even heard of God's Not Dead and then the last time I was at the theater there was like a giant stand up. Yeah, for it. And I was like what the f- what is this? bizarre yeah anyway great oh, beauty uh great I
1: beauty agree. there's also persona big mark bergman's very bizarre film from 1966 highly recommend that one though that's just that is odd That is an odd experience hmm. so that's out on blu-ray and the freshman 1925 harold lloyd's biggest box office hit silent freshman. comedy gem, the cool. fuddled every man cool new, yeah so if you're into 20s area, 20s 20s era, silent comedy gems featuring befuddled everymans, <laughs> freshman, befuddled right everymans.
0: <laughs> uh, I like how you you pluralized it. So there's multiple, there's multiple yeah. befuddled everymans in the room. <laughs> no, that's that's a comedy I would watch. <laughs> I just had the greatest visual in my head of this (laughs) this giant white empty room with men in business suits just being completely befuddled wearing fedoras.
1: Oh, God. Uh, We needed to make that happen.
0: I'm all about it. I'm all about it. That would be amazing. All right. Uh, Anything else? Uh, No, I don't think so all right i believe that'll wrap it up for all the latest film news and reviews visit us at filmpulse.net send us your questions to podcast filmpulse.net we'll be sure to answer them on the show follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and be sure to raise on itunes we appreciate that very much filmpulse.net my name is adam and i'm kevin and we'll see you on thursday for ryan watches a movie
1: You make it sound like a whole process. Uh, gotta, I can't. gotta log into my letterbox account, gotta get out my abacus.